Hey everyone, hope you're well. Just before we get into the interview, I very, very quickly wanted to say that I actually recorded this interview on the go in Jack's studio in Shoreditch. Um, we were next to, unfortunately, a busy road, as is the case in London. Uh, I do do the show on the road, so please bear in mind if there are any motorbike noises or ambulances in the background, I apologise for that ahead of time. But um, that didn't stop us from getting a great interview, so... I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, enjoy. Whatever you do, don't go after money. Don't go after status. There is only one possible purpose that I've ever been able to divine at a living life. And that is to do the things that satisfy you personally. Just just make you feel good about, about your existence. Hello everyone and welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where we talk to leading figures of creativity and innovation. Today I'm talking to Jack DeRose, the world-class jewellery designer turned Ethereum entrepreneur, about his journey into the world of cryptocurrency and what we should expect from this disruptive technology. Let's do it. Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. Today I am joined by Jack DeRose. He is, or he originated as a jewellery designer, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then has recently switched over to uh, more of the cryptocurrency, uh, Ethereum. Is there a better way of explaining that? Or Some people use the term blockchain. That's the, the latest buzzword. Right, there you go. So uh, deals with the blockchain. In fact, you'll be able to explain it a little bit better than me. So could you maybe introduce yourself and explain what you do day to day? Sure, my name is Jack DeRose and I am one of the co-founders of two Ethereum-based um, startups. One's called Colony.io, which is um, a platform for internet organisations as we call them. Some people call them decentralised autonomous organisations. Basically the idea is that people all over the world can build sort of internet-based companies together. The other is called Ownage which is uh, again an Ethereum-based platform for the distribution, uh, collecting and trading of digital game content. So we're gonna dig in depth into into both of those as we go throughout. But um, first off, because I mean, I've looked at your jewelry work and uh, for people that are listening to this, it's not just your stereotypical stuff you buy in the shops, it's more extravagant than anything I've ever seen. You were uh, involved in the Damien Hurst skull, which a lot of people will be familiar with. Could you maybe explain how you got into jewellery, why you got into jewellery, and then how you made such a giant leap from that path into um, the blockchain and what you're involved in now? So I did a degree in English literature, then suddenly became a jeweller after my degree, which is a bit of a, a, a weird jump, which perhaps explains the equally weird jump later on. Uh, but essentially, coming out of uni, I, I was—I knew that the one thing I didn't want to do was to get a job. So I was like—I was basically being a, a, a digital wheeler dealer, just buying stuff in the in the early days of eBay, and I was trading everything from like uh, massive bits of industrial machinery to old Dysons to uh, antiques to all that kind of thing, and, and eventually I got a. I just got fed up. I think it was. I think the straw that broke the camel's back was dragging that Dyson to the uh, <laughs> to the, 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 the post office. 
and oh, he might have even actually been trying to wrap the Dyson. It's one of those things that was a pain. I, I, I used to do a similar thing. I used to go to car boots and I bought a stone barometer. Yeah. I think that was the biggest sale I ever made, but then trying to post that, you know, it certainly cuts into your budget. Absolutely. But, um, what was the big, just out of curiosity, what was the biggest sale you ever made through that stuff or profit margin, I guess? I can't remember. Was it good, I, I was it good know money for the, for the time in your life? I mean, it was money, which was which was an improvement on absolutely nothing. So, <laughs> and I guess so. You, if you studied English literature, yeah, and then jewelry making involves, from as far as I can see in your designs, a lot of CAD related work. Correct. Yeah. Was that something you just learned on the side, or? So I got into jewelry because I I, I was essentially trying to solve the wrong problem. Like I I was fed up with having to that that I was having to take things like. Um, uh, vacuum cleaners to the post office and so I thought the answer was to sell things which were small and so it was easier to take them to the post <laughs> office you know I really should have been thinking of what the real problem there was and trying to solve that one instead <laughs> but, okay so let's backpedal a step because you've gone from selling vacuum cleaners uh, I mean a vacuum or cleaner. a vacuum cleaner <laughs> yeah. just well yeah, yeah just random bits yeah. and bobs but then when you got into jewellery, this, this wasn't, you know, uh, I don't know any jewellery shops off the top of my head, but it wasn't your run-of-the-mill stuff. This is, as far as I can see, like world-class jewellery making. I mean, it wasn't to begin with. It was, it was insufferably shit to begin with, let's be honest. But, right. you know, we got there in the end. So how many years did that take you to make that jump? Got into jewellery um, because I wanted to sell something smaller. I realised, because I was just basically buying it from one place and selling it on eBay. And then I realized, you know, I had got no idea what I was doing, so I had to learn something about it. I discovered that computer-aided design and 3D printing was like this really interesting uh, new technology that was being applied to the jewelry industry in ways that weren't really happening this, to the same extent elsewhere. And it just seemed like, you know, the, I picked up one piece of advice somewhere along the line that if you want to start a business in some area, like it's a good idea to have some expertise in, in some aspect of it. So I thought that that was um, a good place to start because it was like relatively greenfield. It would be something that I could pick up expertise in where... And you could ride the wave effectively of the evolution of that technology being applied to the, to the art of jewellery making. To some extent, but I've always felt that technology should be applied. A new technology should enable something different. And, and what I could see immediately was that people were using the new technology to do exactly the same thing that they were doing before, just in a different way. And, and I thought that was kind of dumb. So what I wanted to be able to do was to use the technology to create things that you couldn't have made before. I mean, for people that don't know, haven't seen it, I'll, I'll put it all in the show notes, but I would describe some of these jewel, bits of jewelry as I almost imagine that like a Quentin Tarantino film and, and they've got this this bad guy or this good guy and they pull out this elaborate piece of jewellery. I mean, they're just so extravagant and even the packaging was so well thought out. But how did you go from that and then being the guy that ended up doing the Damien Hirst So somewhere along the line, I just got a call out of the blue. I was working from my parents' front room in Birmingham and I was basically trying to get really good, trying to be the best at computer-aided design for jewellery. Um, so I just randomly got a call out of the blue one day from a goldsmith on Bond Street who'd been asked by a shop on Bond Street 
um, if they could make this thing. And, and I'd had calls like this before, uh, and people generally think, okay, it's going to take you a few weeks to do that, and it's going to be too expensive. But obviously, when I realised it was going to be covered in diamonds and what have you, I realised you know they could probably afford the fact it was going to take a few months to make. Um, and and yeah, so they they just got the call. I just got the call because they didn't know how to make it, and they were trying to find somebody who did know how to make it. I had got no fucking clue how to make it, <laughs> but you know, it's not every day you get a call to do something cool like that, and you know. The whole thing I was going after was trying to and so do things that I is that you know something that people can pull is I feel like that's been a, a bit prevalent in my own career the fact that I've not been able to do stuff but I've taken on the job anyway yeah. there's been a high level of stress but at the other side of that I know how to do it now and I can actually claim well I mean you did a great job it's you know probably his most notable bit of work if along with the dots why did you make that transition what what was it about the jewelry did it not work out uh, did you just identify a new area? Like, what? Why did you make the transition? I'd made that skull, and then I was doing work for other companies, making increasingly fancy bits of jewelry here and there. And it was always—I I kind of got this idea in my head that I wanted to to make this danger collection. It was sort of all there, fully formed in my mind, what I wanted to do. Um, and eventually, I managed to find uh, an investor and business partner who would help me make it possible. So, so we did that, and kind of everything went like it went okay. It didn't like fly out the door, but it also wasn't like a complete disaster either. For me, it got to the point where I, I, I was interested and excited by doing something novel, doing something extraordinary and exceptional, and doing something that was really, really hard. And I kind of got to the point where. I knew I couldn't do anything that was harder than that I'd already done. Like, it was just repeating the same things. And I think because of that, I just lost interest. Just to pull maybe something from that to see if it actually is a, is a uh, something you look for. In the tech industry, people generally say like bar to entry or um, the prerequisite skill set. Like, is this something that is exp like really hard for 99% of people to do? you've got relevant expertise or it requires uh, a special skill set or a, amount of learning in a particular area for you to execute it. Is that something you try to identify that you go, well, not many people are in this space, I can learn it better than everyone else and then I can capitalise on that or? Not consciously. I think that was was the case in the first, in, in, in the jewellery thing. Um, yeah, I think that certainly a part of that was identifying something that I could become better, better at than anybody else. But like that was my explicit goal, was to be the best at that, um, which is, yeah. And do you feel like you achieved that? Oh, I mean, I think so. Yeah. I, I've never seen anybody else that could make those kind of things, apart from myself and my, my um, co-designer. So at that point in time, like that, uh, a lot of people aspire to be in that position where they're the figurehead of a, of a field, mm. that people have to go to them, you can bump up your prices because if it's not you, it's someone that's subpar. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you ride that wave? I, I don't necessarily think that's what life's all about. I Fair think enough. It's about, uh, like I could have continued and gone on and ran a, a jewellery business that would have 
you know, sit me comfortably probably for the rest of my days, but I would have spent the next 40 years of my life unfulfilled. Like I really, I didn't want to spend much time on this, but even this is taking me down an interesting <laughs> tangent. Like what is, what do you believe it is then? So, so I think the one thing that comes back to me over and over again is, like I had this idea in my mind, which is kind of egotistical in a way, which is that it'd be really cool to make these things and you know, things like the skull, things like the other very fancy bits of jewelry that I made, which are, you know, anywhere from a few hundred thousand dollars to millions of dollars, a hundred million dollars in the case of the skull. And think, okay, those are probably items which are going to last as long as humanity lasts. As the yeah. likelihood is nobody's gonna get rid of those anyway. However, you also have to recognize that all that's gonna happen with those things is that they are gonna be in the safe of somebody who's already got too much. In fact, they've got so much too much that they have to go out of their way to find really, really ridiculous things to spend their money on. And when, when, I, when that really sort of dawned on me, I was like, oh, fuck, this, is, this has been a waste of 10 years. <laughs> not, not quite to that extent, because it was fun and did a lot of you know, entertaining stuff. But, um, and, and certainly learned a lot as well. But, you know, if you start to have fundamental doubts about what it is you're spending your life doing, I, it doesn't really make sense to continue down that path. So do you think that was that was your shift to community-based projects? You're, you're making products which are very difficult to make, very one-of-a-kind, and sort of you're, you're trying to make them available to very, very few people, and, and like having like essentially no impact on the world. Um, yeah, it just seemed more interesting to me to do something different. Okay. Uh, and, and also the the colony, which is what ultimately dragged me away from from jewelry, um, was solving a problem that I was experiencing. It was it was like a tremendously exciting um, few weeks when I was sort of realizing this and coming up with the idea, and it just got me completely hooked. I I would spend all my time thinking about it and absolutely not thinking about jewelry anymore. Okay, so this is, seems like a, a, a time to make a natural progression towards the uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency and all the other things that stuff can do. Yeah. Um, I don't want to dumb down the interview too much. A lot, a lot of people, I'm sure, won't really understand it too well, but I'm going to give you my understanding, and if you sure. could correct me where I go wrong. Mm -hmm. So typically, at the moment, currency works on the basis that we have a note that everyone trusts in the value of that of that note so a 10 pound can give me 10 pound worth of product in the eyes of society on the note this is a way that i've uh, seen it described every note has a has a uh, a code on it already mm -hmm. and effectively what cryptocurrency is saying is that you're just removing the note but you keep the digits in the form of uh, some form of code the way that we have the system that we're in currently is you have banks, which are third party institutions that we all uh, have trust in, and that they keep our records of the transactions, which is effectively a ledger. Now the blockchain is a decentralized ledger, which means that you have uh, the equivalent of banks, but basically what they are is just servers all around the world that maintain the ledger in one kind of continual place that's distributed evenly amongst all these different servers. Mm -hmm. And what that allows you to do is, well, for a start, it cuts out a lot of middlemen, money being um, 
money issues with banks and all that kind of stuff, but it also allows you to track every single transaction. The transactions, I believe, are anonymous, is that correct? No. No. They're pseudonymous. 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 Oh, pseudonymous. What, yeah. does, what does that mean? So it means that every transaction has got an address associated with it. If you can link an identity, a real identity, to an address, right. um, that pseudonymity is broken. Okay. Yeah. That's as far as my understanding goes. Mm -hmm. I've not really delved into it too much. Expand on anything you think I may have missed. What are the main benefits of this system? And another little question that I'll tag on to that is just for the continuation of the interview, like what 20% of terminology kind of gets people 80% of the way there as far as understanding it? So for example, the blockchain, we've explained that that's effectively a ledger. Mm -hmm. What are some of the terms that you're likely to bring up during this interview that people may not necessarily understand? Well, if I could bring, come up with any terminology that I think people are unlikely to understand. Just explain it as I, it arrives. I will try and explain it at sure. the time. I'm, I'm not dreadfully good at coming up with lists on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, I, I heard somebody explain it quite recently in a way that I thought was, was pretty cool. Um, it's like if you imagine you've got, um, you've you know, got a, like a double entry accounting book. Everybody, everybody can see that book and you can never cross anything out that's already been written. You can only continue to write new things on there. As long as everybody can see that ledger uh, and they can see if anybody tries to cross anything out, nobody can cross anything out because, or nobody can change any of the values because it's transparent to everybody. And that's, that's essentially the basis upon which a blockchain is predicated. Let's give some real life examples of things that currently aren't good in the current system that would be ironed out if this if this technology was embraced. Well now that's that's a really interesting question because for us in the West pretty much nothing, right? So we've already got electronic money. It's already incredibly easy for us to uh, make payments at very, very low cost to one another very quickly. So, so what's the practical benefits to us of something like Bitcoin? Um, there's not too many. I mean, it's, it's a convenient way to buy drugs on the internet. <laughs> that's, that's about it. <laughs> right. But for many other countries, um, you know, where they don't have equivalent access to banking, where, the, you know, it's, it's an incredibly powerful and, and beneficial currency, where, where the, um, you know, where their currencies are extremely volatile, you know, it's, it's an, even more volatile than Bitcoin, which has been actually relatively stable over the past um, year or so. Um, so. So there are lots of interesting benefits. And I think a, another one is, is just the fact that you can have purely peer-to-peer -peer money. You've got digital cash. You aren't reliant on some third party that you're going to trust um, to look after your money by and large. Um, so and so you can do those remittances very quickly and at extremely low cost. Certainly Sorry, so, um, remittances. Remittance. remittance. So like, like sending money from one place to okay. the next. Um, yeah. So you can make those payments very quickly, and actually, as a business, and for things like you know design agencies, when when I when I used to do my freelance design work, I'd have a lot of people who were sort of in uh, Eastern Europe, uh, who were doing doing work for me. And when it came to paying them, it was always a real pain in the ass because I'd have to use like MoneyGram or Western Union to pay these guys because they actually didn't have bank accounts. Um, 
And that's really expensive and really inconvenient to do. Now with Bitcoin, it's like bang, it's done. It happens in, in a few seconds and it costs next to nothing. So most people would instantly start bringing up, and I know people who brought this up in interviews with you already, um, like people for hour and Upwork and those kind of platforms. Yep. Um, why are they, um, why do they not solve that problem? Well, they don't solve the problem for people who don't have bank accounts. Right. Which was the case with all of the people that I used to work with, and this was before things like people for hour and Upwork. So, say so a Bitcoin is worth how much currently? I think it's around $500, $550. So $550, mm-hmm. that in India or somewhere else is a tremendous amount of money. Mm-hmm. And typically on things like Upwork or People Brower and these kind of things, people use them in the Western world especially because they want to get cheap um, services oftentimes. You can get stuff for a fraction of the price. Is the currency pricing people out in some parts of the world? You know, like so. I mean, it's 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 highly divisible. Right. It's divisible to and decimal places. I want to say sixteen decimal places. That that might not, not be correct, but it's certainly highly divisible. Right. So um, the smallest unit of a bitcoin is known as a satoshi. Okay. That's like a vanishingly small amount of money. Right. Um, na- named after the inventor of or the pseudonymous inventor of bitcoin, uh, Satoshi, satoshi Nakamoto. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's an arbitrary amount of money, really. Okay. It's just, just the exchange rate, and that fluctuates a lot. Right, and so another question I had was, um, well, for a start, could you, uh, could you explain mining and what that's all about? Yeah, so, so mining is a system called proof of work, uh, which is what uh, creates new uh, bitcoins. So every roughly 10 minutes, at present 12 and a half, new Bitcoins are mined. Uh, and that is, that is done by the network of people who are running specialized, um, specialized chips, specialized computing systems to compute one very particular algorithm uh, to, to, to like find the answer to this difficult mathematical problem. When one of them finds the answer to this mathematical problem, they get this reward of Bitcoin. And the reason why that's happening is because they are validating all of the transactions that happened on the Bitcoin network in the preceding period. And so, so they're by validating all these transactions and having like many people trying to do this, they are, they are creating the security of the network through their collective computing power. That went over my head a bit. Okay. So the the second half of that, where I got I get the mining element, okay, um, but the element of how does that validate the system? Okay, so they are. How does that validate the system? So when transactions come through, um, the they are all checking to ensure that these transactions are are valid, essentially that they aren't. Duplications. Who, 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 who's they? The miners. Right. Right. So that they aren't duplications of of other of other transactions that have right. happened. Okay. So it's called a blockchain because you've got a series of of like clumps of transactions that come together, and all the transactions that that happen within a particular time period are going to a block. 
So you get one block after the next, they're all linked together, hence they're a blockchain. Um, sometimes you get sort of the, the, the uh, in fact, let's not go into that, it gets too <laughs> Okay, so one, uh, another thing was, uh, in the early days, I seem to remember that people were setting up like, effect, effectively mining farms. Yeah. So are the people that are going to capitalize on this, the, the mega wealthy and the super nerdy, like people that have the computing power to start doing this stuff? Um, or effectively mine, like, is it still possible to set up 50 computers and, and profit more than others? No. Right. No, it's really, really hard. You have to, I mean, there's quite a high barrier to entry now, and one of the big concerns that people have about Bitcoin mining is mining centralization because it's incentivizing people. The more money you've got, the more ability you've got to build more uh, powerful uh, mining uh, facilities, you know, right? You know, the more likely it's, it's, it's essentially a complete waste of time. Now, if you've got just because you know, there's, too, there's too too many folks doing it, this, yeah, the, the the hashing power is absolutely extraordinary. So you don't do it, absolutely not. Okay, no, it's, it's uh, it would be you, you'd be better off just buying the if you're gonna you're gonna spend a thousand pounds buy buy Bitcoin or buy Ether, don't buy uh, mining equipment. So you've just mentioned Ether. Yeah. Could you roll out a few different currencies or some of the most uh, highly notable ones? Yeah, I mean, there's there's one called Dash, which is quite interesting. I don't know a ton about it, but it's um, it's essentially a, I think that's an anonymous um, uh, currency. So yeah, as I say, I don't really know how it works. So that's your drugs online? I don't actually think it gets used. Right. No, I, I, I don't think there's many people that use it. There's another one which was quite popular for a while called Litecoin. There's Dogecoin, which I believe is is uh, a derivative of, um, or it's not a derivative, it's derived from the code of Litecoin. Wasn't that a kind of joke one off, like off the back of like 4chan and stuff yeah, like that kind yeah, of? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it got really popular because of that. And um, Kanye West. Yeah, Coinia West, and there were there were various other other silly altcoins. So, in well, in the same with money, in order to make this thing valuable, you need people to join to join in on the. You need on, adoption. Exactly. You need adoption. Yeah. Yeah. So, from a little bit of my research, obviously, what one thing that struck me straight away that there's there certain coins where. There's basically a, a ton of marketers trying to get behind it. Yeah. Effectively they, they call creating them. Yeah, like a pyramid scheme kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, there's, um, a, there's a lot of shady shit that goes on in that altcoin world. And so eventually, do you believe there will be the one coin that rules them all? Like, will there be a one? Actually, one coin is a scam. Yeah, that's right, another okay. one. Oh, is it? <laughs> uh, that, that is definitely a multi-level marketing uh, bit of nonsense. But um, no, I don't think that there will be one coin to rule them all. Um, I think that there will be a panoply of different different coins for different purposes. Does that not make the system more convoluted and therefore more difficult to adopt? Uh, possibly, but I think that a lot of those will occupy little niches and they will be for a very specific purpose. Like they won't necessarily. It's not going to be something that you go down to the shops and you buy, you know, a packet of biscuits with. So you don't, you don't think that that's the ultimate aim of it? I think that that will happen with digital currency in due course. 
I think the currency will just become digital. I think that coins and notes and uh, and centralized ledgers will, in due course of time, become uh, you know an anachronism, which is sort of unthinkable that we used to do it in such a ridiculously uh, sort of uh, low tech fashion. No, I think that I think that there will be lots of different tokens, and I think they'll have different purposes. And so you're heavily embedded in the Ethereum community. Yeah. Um, what is it about that one in particular? So I don't think of Ethereum as a coin. I think that's the first. I don't think of it as cryptocurrency. In fact, it kind of like it, it makes me immediately want to correct people who call it a cryptocurrency because Ether, the cryptocurrency which exists within Ethereum, is one component of it, which is a necessary component in order to make Ethereum work. And what Ethereum is, um, is a, a distributed computing platform. So it enables decentralized applications. Uh, so, so that means applications which are able to run without sort of fear of, of censorship or downtime or, or anything like that, without requiring there to be a central server. Applications that are running on Ethereum aren't uh, you know, making calls to, uh, I don't know, Amazon's server farm or anything like that. These are being run on a decentralized network of computers all over the world. So, so uh, a, a, a fraction of whoever's using its computer power. Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you see that as the main benefit of that rather than like, does Ethereum have its own blockchain effectively? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so is, is, a, is a blockchain the consistent element of all of these different coins? No. No. <laughs> they have, some of them have different consensus uh, mechanisms. Right. Uh, not all of which I understand. For example, uh, there's another one called Ripple, which has a completely different consensus system. There's another one called Stellar, which again is, is different from Ripple, but it was originally based on it. There's, there's a whole variety, really. But and so what is it? about a decentralized network yeah. that makes you invest all of your time and energy into that as opposed to the others? Is it? I mean, it's not, what is it about Ethereum that made us choose that, do you mean? Or Yeah, I mean, you're, uh, I'm sure you won't mind saying it, you know, you're investing a lot into this, not only your time, but money, yeah. like everything. Um, you're obviously, that that's where your bet's been made, and yeah. there must there, there must be a uh, a reason why you've gone. That's the one. Like uh, you're a smart guy. There's it must be significantly outweighing the others for you to to make that assessment. Really, for what we want, what we're trying to do, Ethereum is the only game in town. Like this is not something you could do on Bitcoin. It's not something you could do on any other. Uh, on any on any currency because it simply doesn't have the the capabilities to do that. It's not designed for that. Um, Ethereum is specifically designed uh, as as uh, a decentralized application platform. So that's that's really the only choice to be able to do what we want. So let me explain this in a. I'm trying to think of this in a simple way. So does is effectively Ethereum like WordPress versus Dreamweaver. In the Dreamweaver, you'd create a website, you'd put it online, and it was independent. 
WordPress is built on a platform where other people can build stuff as well, therefore making it more likely to be adopted because there's tools that people can use and all the rest of it. <laughs> Sorry if I'm making this very difficult, but I'm trying to, uh, yeah, help. That's, that's a, a difficult analogy. Uh, you can just tell me that's an awful analogy. I mean, it's not, it's not a completely awful analogy. I mean, I suppose the difference is, you know, it, it's fair in a sense that you've got, uh, you know, the one way that you could go about it before was to, like, literally do all of your infrastructure yourself. I suppose in the context of, of Ethereum, you would have to have been able to build a blockchain. You'd have to be able to build a technology that would enable people to run their to, to run programs in a decentralized way. Some people um, compare it to like more fundamental internet protocols like TCP/IP. Right. Um, it enables something. It enables computers to communicate in a way that they couldn't have done before. Uh, and it enables that to be secure, and importantly, it enables that to carry value. Are there any flaws? And the reason I ask that, like, normally when you've got an emerging technology, people will, and I'm sure Ethereum has looked at things like Bitcoin or some of these other things and tried to improve it, hence creating this decentralized network. But are there things that other people are going to look at Ethereum and say, we can do that and one better it? I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there are. I mean, no doubt. Eventually, Ethereum will get replaced with with something else, which is, which is just an order of magnitude better. Um, yeah, it's difficult. You know, there's lots of drawbacks to using Ethereum. Like it's, it's currently very complicated for people to to get involved with. Um, you know, it's, it's niche. So there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of explanation that's required for people and a lot of sort of uh, learning that's required for people to be able to start using uh, decentralized applications as a way of running programs it's it's pretty slow and expensive to run so and it's also very very low powered I mean you're not going to find somebody uh, you know building um, you, you know you wouldn't be able to run really sort of power hungry programs like games and what have you necessarily over ethereum right it's like it's designed for very specific classes of programs, like relatively small, lightweight things, which are effectively they call them smart contracts. So that they're effectively sort of um, collective agreements on things which are really important that they are uh, done securely and transparently. So, in order to build something on um, Ethereum, yeah. Do you have to be approved by some? No. No. No, it's a fundamentally decentralized. System. So if someone did want to build a consuming game, nothing's to stop them from doing no. that. Would that not affect everyone else's programs? No. No. So what other uses do you see of the technology, like uh, just basically just anything that's decentralized? Uh, the question is, what does that mean, right? Because you, what does decentralized mean? And what I said earlier on about like what what was the original opportunity or, or bugbear that I had about rapid prototyping technology and jewelry was that people were using it to do exactly the same thing, but but with this new technology, and that's that's pretty much what you always see to begin with, with any new technology before use cases really start getting found. 
So what you often see is people doing the same thing that they could have done another way, but decentralized. And you think actually, where's the real value add of it being decentralized? That is not a benefit. You say that, but um, okay, it's not so much a benefit, but say for example, when I ponder VR, yeah. I'll go, well, this is gonna be like the internet where there's loads of low bearing fruit, i.e. you create the exact same stuff that's on the internet, pick an example out of my head, like say um, a Headspace app, right. meditation, where you create a VR experience where people are in this mountain meditating. People will download that. It's a, just a re rehash of the same thing. Quite possibly, but I think that's, that's a bit different because what you're proposing there is something which is qualitatively different. Right, what an exponential jump. Uh, no, it's just, it's, it has a different quality to it, right. not, not necessarily that it's better. Um, You're just on about things which are basically an exact duplicate, just on the platform for the sake of being on the platform. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That is not, that is not a benefit in and of itself. Yeah. So the way I see technology is that it should be used for things where the existence of that technology facilitates something which couldn't have otherwise been done. Um, and that's why, for us, with Colony, it's, it's like the critical piece of the puzzle because what we're essentially building is like an operating system for organisations, sort of infrastructure for organisations. It's, it's there to enable people to build organisations online, to, to manage and govern those organisations in a completely peer-to-peer -peer fashion. So, so whilst we could build all of the same rules, all of the same logic on a server, all of the people that would be operating their organizations would have to trust us. And if we were to go out of business, which of course is you know likely, in fact, if not, it's certainly possible, um, all of those companies would be taken down with us. So why would anybody use it if everybody's existence was hanging by such a fragile thread? And so that's why we think that running a program, running, running the kind of thing that we're building on Ethereum is the only way to do it. So is this kind of like saying, around the same time that Facebook was being generated, there was probably lots of other platforms. All of those died, Facebook became the, the one which everyone uses. Mm -hmm. It's the anomaly of the, those platforms. Mm -hmm. You're saying that basically by putting it onto this this structure, you guarantee it's going to live regardless of whether the money dries up or Correct. yeah. As long as people want to use it, it's there for them. Okay. And it's 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 like it's there for them to the same extent. If you you know you buy a game on or a program on on CD-ROM back in the day. Yeah. Or, and, and you run that on your computer, you've you always got that. You can always use it. You can still use it now, even though it's, you know. In fact, before, well, my question is, so the actual creation of Colony is all based on, on the basis that it runs itself. You don't actually have to do anything day-to-day -day from day dot once it's created. It, no, it's not so much that. We still have to, we still have to work on it and, you know, improve things and what have you. It's more like, so if you use Trello, let's yeah. say, if you... If you, uh, back in the day, had downloaded that app and it was a desktop app that you ran, yeah. uh, 
then you could just continue using that forever. But because Trello is a software service, you know, it operates in the cloud, um, if Trello go out of business, that's it, you're losing Trello, you can't use that anymore. With a decentralized application, you have all the same benefits that you have with a software as a service application, but there is no business to go out of, go out of business. So it will always exist, as long as people want to use it. So if my last questions then, it probably helps if we actually really understand Colony. Sure. So give us your elevator pitch or whatever, is that the, is that the right terminology? I think it is. I guess so. I think I just did a few minutes. Yeah, ago. to be fair. <laughs> so Colony is this platform where people can build their own, well, I say build, they can basically do anything on it, right? That, that requires uh, like labor. Yeah, decentralized governance, uh, uh, distribution of labour, yeah, and, and you can you can cut that in a lot of different ways. Lots of people are thinking about different uh, use cases for this kind of uh, this kind of idea. Essentially, you can think of it, you know, what if you and a load of other people all around the world, you know, in, in every different country, who you don't know and you don't trust all you know is that they've got this you know this avatar name uh, that you would see on you know reddit or wherever um, what if you could along with all the, all of those people uh, manage money together such that you were able to do stuff now that doing of stuff could be all sorts of things that could be a real world business you might be involved in software development some people that we're talking to um, who, are, who are already doing this but without without the money component who are building uh, Hyperloop which is crazy a bunch of guys from Reddit um, which is that's Elon Musk project right yeah, but he's yeah. and didn't he come to you you guys no no but <laughs> no, no, you, no. you guys but have, you guys have some link there right yeah there's there's this group of people that we're talking to um, about using Colony when it goes live called called R Loop, who are like a bunch of guys that met on Reddit. There's between 150 and 450 of them all over the world, and they, as I say, they met on Reddit when this SpaceX pod competition uh, was announced. And they said, guys, we've got all the skills to do this. Why don't we get involved? And yeah, they formed a team, and and they're through to the final stages. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a really cool project. But but equally, there's other people that we're talking to about it that want to be able to actually have organisational governance within virtual worlds and within games. So, you know, there's real tangible value that sits within games, and this actually leads like quite nicely into Earnage, uh, where people can have real value, real monetary value, real products that they own, which are digital, which exist on the blockchain. Um, but... Uh, with with being able to govern their collective operations um, via colony, they could do all sorts of things. So you know, in, in the game world, they could have their guild, which is involved in you know production of some kind of well, product. Let, let, let's sell. let's bring it because that's uh, are you on about Warcraft there. Yeah, could be Warcraft, could be anything like that. that. So let's bring it into modern examples. So Pokemon sure. Go. Mm -hmm. I was thinking this the other day, someone that's walking around with 10 iPhones creating accounts up to level 20 or whatever yeah. has got a business model there. They own something that people want if they just sell someone their logins mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. 
um, you're saying that. And I mean, that's always happened to some degree, right? But in like eBay transactions and stuff like that, people selling characters and you're saying you're creating the platform that actually creates a currency around all these digital assets. That's ownage, yeah. 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 So, so uh, a games developer can, uh, you know, like in the context of, of uh, Pokemon Go, you know, Nintendo or whoever it is that, that um, operates that product, could, you know, issue uh, a load of new particular kinds of Pokemon. They could be very limited edition, and so then people can buy them or or, or, or find them. I'm not exactly sure how Pokemon works, but they could, uh, and then they could potentially have an aftermarket value for those. Right. You probably, if they if it was random and they were paying to use it, you'd get into some tricky territory with gambling regulation. But uh, right. theoretically, yeah, that's 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 kind of the vibe. Just backstepping a little bit to do with Colony. So I, prior to this interview, I watched a couple of your videos online. Okay. It's quite interesting how heated people can sometimes get when they just you're just exploring, you know, a new territory. Not like really heated, but they have questions for you. Um, a few questions I had myself. So, is Colony only really for projects where no one has ownership? Something like someone owns or founded Wikipedia, but it's a communal project. Um, so my question is, one of the examples that you used was say logo design. Mm -hmm. So, um, and each decision is a communal decision whether something is appro approved as good enough or not. Is that correct? Not, not necessarily, actually. Uh, right. No, not everything has to be voted on. You, you'd probably more likely have um, a task that was created and you got somebody who was coordinating that task, uh, somebody who'd be selected to do that task and then essentially they would work as a little unit and and be able to um, deliver that piece of work and, and it would get, it would just get delivered. Uh, you're, you're not, we're, we're trying to make it such that you don't require uh, loads of people to vote on things all the time because practically it will just never work. And it slows stuff down. Exactly, yeah. So you, you, you really want this idea of, of, of distributed authority within sort of, within sort of limits of, uh, of what's sort of safe from a financial perspective. Because my hypothetical was in my head, so I want to start this company, I want a logo. Mm -hmm. This guy comes along, he's got good ratings, he's built trust or however you create that on the platform. Yeah. He says, I can do this. So he starts it. Mm -hmm. Something like design is very subjective. He finishes it. A bunch of people that are on the platform, the Reddit folk, the 4chaners, the early adopters, who don't know necessarily, haven't got a good design eye, may go, that's awesome. Yeah. The person that put the project out has now, by the people, people have voted to say that's really good. Mm -hmm. He thinks it's crap. Does he, does he have to accept that? No. No. No, I mean, as I'm saying, the, the way that it's, uh, the way that we're building it is that it, it's not that, it's certainly not open for everybody to just jump in and, right. and, you know, run rampant over things. So you create, when you say colony, it's like you create your own base. Yeah, it's like your own collaboration network. Right. And you invite people in, but you can also tap into the network. Exactly. You invite people in. You can also make it open such that people can just come along. 
but you know they're not going to have any say really until they've built some reputation by actually creating value. In in that in that particular project. In that particular colony. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you know, if it, if it was based just on the whole network, yeah. then you just find that there was some colony which was there just to pump people's reputations. Sure. It has to be within within the one that is uh, relevant. Okay, and um, you created another co uh, currency, or I might be getting, it might not be a currency, but you've got pollen rather than um, ether. Uh, we, we actually, those, those are the, those are all terms that we really right. have deprecated and there's actually no concept of, of, of what we were calling pollen before anymore. Right. We've, we've managed to uh, remove the need for that. Okay, uh, so before it was called pollen, which was uh, a unit of, uh, a token that you used in order to um, pay for things that would need to happen. Uh, we, we don't need that anymore because in fact we're, we're just using uh, Ether to, to be able to do that. Uh, and then we got Nectar which essentially represented um, ownership for want of a better term within a, within a particular colony. So that's another interesting point with this because we haven't touched on it yet, that you actually own part of the project. So right. when you contribute your building equity yeah. based on your contribution. Yeah. So this is where my question about I start a project, yeah. uh, some guy does a lot of work on it, um, am I at risk of losing the project, the, the, the ownership of it? I mean, you're, you, you're agreeing on how much gets paid out to people at all times. So if you start a project, you start with all of the say, right? So you only give out as much as you want. And so I want to give out 49% because I want to maintain control. Yeah. I run out of... I mean, actually, your control is not determined by the amount of it you own. Right. It's actually determined by a combination of factors, which include how much of it you own, but which which also heavily includes your reputation, which is based on how much you're actually doing. So, if you if you're somebody and you're just creating a colony and you've just had an idea and you just want to try and control all of it, do you not see merit in that? I'm anticipating what you're going to say, mm -hmm. but you're saying the person, the conductor, if you don't contribute, doesn't hold any weight. Is that what you, roughly, what you're going what, to say? What does the conductor mean? Um, the Steve Jobs doesn't actually create the thing; he just steers the ship. I mean, arguably, Steve Jobs was doing a shitload of work. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, okay, bad example, but people would say like Steve Jobs didn't. He wasn't the guy that created the iPhone. He was the one that had the vision. Vision, how, how, how do you I mean, put I monetary he, value on vision? I think he had a lot more than vision. And I think that, you know, that's one of the difficult things about the sort of CEO role, which is that you are like, a sort of sort of call it the everything else, like you're the chief everything else officer. Yeah. Who, uh, so, so it can be difficult to quantify and therefore you do need roles within the system that are ensuring that people are earning reputation as they go along. So, so I gave 15 bits of feedback today. <laughs> or is that yeah, a terrible I mean, it's not always just feedback. Sure. There's all sorts of things that people yeah, can do. Yeah, yeah, of course. But like you say, that in those higher level roles, sometimes those tasks aren't as quantifiable as I designed a button or yeah. a logo. Correct. So so there's there's essentially two different kinds, I guess, of, of, of uh, roles within a colony. One which is a, like a role-based role. It's, a, it's effectively a task which just goes from month to month. 
um, or, or whatever time period you choose. Um, and then you've got sort of more transactional things which are purely based on um, design a logo, that kind of thing. And then it's a, it's a discrete uh, lump of either, either tokens, equity, ownership, whatever you want to call it, within that project. Or you could also be being paid in, uh, in money, which, which in the, the first case is, is Ether. Last two questions before we move on to my general one. This is definitely going to go over an hour, but it's fine because I'm really interested in it. Um, first thing is, where do you see the opportunities for people to make money? Just straight up. <laughs> well, like, I, well, like basically, if, on uh, what would you tell your mom to do? In what context? Just in general? Or? Just in general in the, in the cryptocurrency space. As okay. in, so you're trying to give people general advice as to things they should look out for. I'm saving money, but what I mean is, is where do you see the direction going in? Where if, are the opportunities? Where are and the opportunities? What would I tell my mum to do? I mean, if she had money but no skill set and you were just like, just keep your eye on this. I mean, that sounds dangerously like investment advice. Which sure. I don't, <laughs> I don't feel I'm qualified to... to uh... I mean, because... Effectively, as far as I can see, you're looking for, we'll say a currency, Ether isn't a currency. Or you'll no, say, it, no, Ether, it is, Ether is a currency. It is a currency, but, but, but there's Ethereum more to it. Is not, a, is not a cryptocurrency. Yeah, Ethereum is the platform as well. Correct. So, but what you're looking for is one that is getting traction within the, the tech community because they're going to build stuff on it, which is therefore going to give it traction within a mass market audience, which therefore bumps the value. In, in terms of, if, if you're specifically talking about uh, investing in something like that, then so the pe people trade in a very savvy way in cryptocurrencies. And because the markets are small and illiquid, uh, people with relatively small amounts of money, still, still quite a lot of money, but relatively small amounts of money, are able to, to make the markets appear to be something that they're not. They essentially they manipulate them in the same way that you know the big trader guys do in the city but but like at a smaller scale so i don't think there's anything that i could suggest to anybody as to how they should invest their money apart from by looking for things that they think really really provide tangible uh, value and benefit in the long term i think anything else is just you know it's just gambling basically so if, you know if, if Gambling is your thing, then cool. But to see it as anything other than that, I think is 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 foolish, basically. What my investment advice would be: how to make the, money the, in this the, space. The, the reason I ask you is because you've spent a lot of time incubating, if that's probably the wrong word, but basically thinking about this space, right? Like yeah. you, you thought about it more than ninety nine point nine percent of people in the world. Probably, yeah, okay. You know, so mm -hmm. if anyone's in the position to say these are the things to look for, you're putting your effort into Ethereum. So obviously that's a, without without you having to say it, you're saying that you feel there's tangible value there. Yeah. Are there any other uh, spaces that you think these are also interesting? For for me, the only the only uh, blockchain based projects which I think are are interesting are Ethereum. And to a lesser extent, Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin's got the brand, right? Bitcoin's got the brand. 
it's also got a lot of problems, uh, which I hope it, I hope get resolved um, in due course of time. But there's nothing really that makes me have a great deal of hope that that will happen. But you know, we'll see. Um, but f I think that really those are the only two which are uh, which have got any real value or import at the moment. I think everything else is. You talk. You talk about. Uh, tell me if I'm spelling this in, uh, saying this incorrectly. Stigma G, the okay. the idea that it's effectively used in the best examples, ants and the way that they make trails, right? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. And so, do you believe that this is something? How does that apply to what you're doing? I mean, you've used it to describe the way people interact with the product. Okay. So stigmergic communication is the is a, an indirect means of communication where you essentially or, or any agent within the network and system infers information infers knowledge or, 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 or that communication happens as a, as a result of changes to their environment and sort of signals they get picked up which are, which are not sort of like hey dude do this it's like, it's a, oh, this, this thing is different over here. I mean, that's causing me to do this thing. So, it's a cultural influence. Yeah, so like in the, in the context of ants, they might think, well, um, I, I'm out foraging and I've encountered you know, seven ants that are coming in my direction. That probably means that I should go and do this thing over here. Or, you know, there's a big pile of dead ants there, then maybe I should tidy those away. I'll take those. So, so they're... Or, you know, this, this tunnel has caved in, I better fix that. So it's like, it's communication which is happening as a result of the actions of all of the other agents in the network, all the other ants, all the other, other, all of the other traders in the stock market, all the other cars on the road. It's, it's a form of communication which is, uh, which is essentially prevalent in anything which is a complex adaptive system. So is it basically just a, uh, another way of trying to describe early traction and the fact that you're trying to get people on so that there's effectively someone to lead the way? Um, no, I think it's different from there being traction. I think that's that's uh, more akin to network effect. Right. Um, again, I'm not really sure what the context is, but but yeah, I, I, stigma communication is like a particular type of communication which happens in the reason I asked is because I've heard you bring it up and I wasn't okay. quite un uh, I didn't quite understand it so I thought I'd okay that, that was a, a particularly good bit of uh, me just banding around terminology well no I actually, I actually find it you're, you're <laughs> quite articulate and when you're trying to describe something that is quite difficult to understand yeah. as it is anyway these are probably terms that you just understand instinctively, but I imagine there was people in the audience that were like, I'm not quite, I don't yeah, quite what's understand. What's the hell is this word? It's weird. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't, um, muddies the water just that little bit more. So yeah. I was trying to, trying to get my head around it. Um, who are the key players in the space? Like, who do you look to, to go, what's he talking about? Mm, okay, that's interesting. So there's the Ethereum Foundation, who are the people that develop Ethereum by and large, there's in fact, so Ethereum is, is a fundamentally dis decentralized system. Um, it was originally entirely built by the Ethereum Foundation, but subsequently it's split off into, dif into different organizations. What they had, they built several different clients, 
that, that is essentially the software that makes Ethereum happen. So they built several different clients in different languages, and so you've got different teams. So the whole, so the idea being, uh, amongst other things, that you have no single team which has got all the control, because you know there's all these different options that people could use. So I would say that the key players are within the Ethereum Foundation and the groups that have split off from there. So the guys that you know people most often think of in the Ethereum Foundation would be Vitalik Buterin, is um, an in, an incredible intelligence. Uh, he's like I think 23 now, and it's just an extraordinarily accomplished person. Uh, and then you've got the other the other main players within there would be like Vlad Zamfir and and um, and Jeff from the from the Go team who are based in Amsterdam. And I mean, there's Alex van der Sand. There's, there's loads of guys. Reel them off, because for people that aren't into it, like this is all stuff that will go into the show notes. It helps people to delve deeper into it. It like, I mean, you can cut it there if you want, but. So, and, and the, well, those, those are guys that are good to, uh, to look at because they've got quite a lot to say on social media and so on, which is, uh, which is where people are going to learn more. Um, and then also you've got Ethcore, uh, who are the other um, noteworthy group uh, who are building an Ethereum client. Um, and that's, that's led by uh, Gavin Wood, who was formerly CTO of Ethereum. Then you've got like a variety of different applications that are being built on Ethereum, um, which are all interesting, um, or, or some of which are interesting, I should say. There's, there's uh, Augur, which is a decentralized prediction market. Uh, essentially enables people to ask a question about something they think well that they want to know the outcome of and then people make bets in a, on either side like uh, the canonical example seems to be will Donald Trump become president of the United States of America uh, and people will take a take a financial position on one side or the other and based on the way the the betting goes Essentially, you end up with with what the wisdom of the crowd believes is the correct answer, and then people come along, along later on. They report on that uh, event, and and the people who were holding the winning position get some get some money as a result. That's interesting. Yeah, that's well, that, cool. that's fun. Yeah, it's very fun. <laughs> uh, and then you've got other things like um, Digix, which is a uh, uh, representing gold on the Ethereum blockchain. What else is that's really intriguing? There's this thing called Golem, which is uh, a really new project, which is uh, uh, trying to build a decentralized supercomputer. So, uh, essentially, clubbing together the processing power of hopefully thousands of computers all over the world, a bit like the Ethereum network itself does. But in order to to solve more computationally intensive things like uh, protein folding or or 3D rendering or stuff stuff of that nature. So where you'd send stuff to a render farm currently, you could just put yeah. it on that, it goes like yeah. super fast. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's the, I don't know how fast it would be, but that's, that's, that's <laughs> essentially the, that's the, the, that's the premise. Um, so this is typically where it would take half an hour, three quarters of an hour, but we've already blitzed my um, hour long interview. So maybe we can fire through some of these and just see sure. if there's anything that comes top of mind. 
So who were your biggest influences growing up and what did you learn from them? Who was my biggest influence growing up? Your maverick. Those are not the kind of thoughts that I've already went through in my head as a kid. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Routines or rituals that help you to create? I am literally the least routine-oriented person in the world. I like, I have really hard time remembering to do any one specific thing in any kind of routine. I'm fairly sure it's some kind of deep-seated psychological issue that I've got that is so difficult for me to to pick up I've mentioned this a few times now, but like I try and live to like a minimalist philosophy. Do you have a philosophy? A minimalist philosophy? As in, I try not to consume too much. I try and reduce my inputs in order to have a more free mind, in order to allow me to think. I try not to get sucked mm. up with mass media. That's in his, there's, a, there's a subculture of people that live yeah. like that and is there something that you buy into or not really? I don't think there's a sort of um, a branded approach to life that I uh, kind of try and or try and operate according to. Somebody somebody um, said to me this line which just really resonated with me. It was just just some random guy I was having a chat with a while ago, and he said. Dude, I'm all about the self improvement, and, and and that that's something that resonates with me. And like, I think just going through life and, and trying to trying to pick up knowledge and uh, become more well rounded and just identify the things that suck about you and like finding new ways to discover things that about you that suck and looking to um, resolve those where appropriate. I think is kind of the general vibe I'm going for. That's a decent approach, I like it. Biggest struggle you face creatively and what have you done or plan to overcome it? So like creative block? Or, um, I don't know, might go back to jewellery and trying to get investment to create your your vision with the pieces or was there, has there ever been anything that you've been, you know, you've hit a wall with it? Like walls, I generally find yield to persistence. I would say that's a good maxim to go through life by, and it's certainly one that stood me well. And also just having some, you know, just basically having some, what's the word? Chutzpah, is that the right word? Just like... That's, uh, yeah, like uh, brashness. Yeah, just like get involved and... um, and just do it, you know, like the thing we were talking about, the skull, and you're like, I've got no fucking idea how to do that, but it was like, yeah, I'm going to, fine, I'll take on that challenge and just... You know, did you get warranted press for that, or was it all Damien Hurst direction? Uh, not, and I didn't know, I, I, I wasn't trying to, I was just, I was just like one cog in the machine, yeah. I just happened to be the person that was asked to solve that particular problem. There were lots of other people involved, it's not like I made that thing on my own. Um, but no, I, like it's Damien Hurst thing, it, it really only came out like sometime later on. And I didn't even know to begin with, I didn't know until I saw it in the newspaper uh, what it was. Um, but no, it only really came out later on when I was doing my own stuff and you know, people wanted the backstory and then like press started talking about it and that, but no. More what? interesting, it's like, it's, yeah. 
taking the glory of somebody else's achievements, I think is. Because obviously it's a very conceptual thing, but I mean, as you said, you wanted to be the best at, um, you know, those extravagant bits of jewellery. Yeah. That is a uh, a big portfolio piece, you know, that's, yeah. some, that's something that you'd want to talk about, yeah. you'd want to get, I'm not saying... But it wasn't my creative work, like I, sure. I, I, was, I was a hired hand for that, I was... So you, that was never... You didn't see that as you per se. You saw that as a fulfilled kind of like when I design a logo for somebody. I, I it's like that's not my design. It's their yeah, yeah, vision. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's somebody else's vision. They came to me and said, "Hey, here's this. You're making the skull in the box. But this, the, we um, want to make this in platinum and diamonds. Can, <laughs> you, can you figure this out?" But the uh, what did you call it? The seven sins or uh, uh, danger? My collection. Yeah. Danger. Yeah. So that is that's you. Yeah. That was that was me and my um, co-designer uh, and our kind of vision. So yeah, but like in terms of like solving the the creative blocks, I guess around those things. Yeah, it's just bloody mindedness. And there's like so many occasions where, like I did this one which was an octopus, and it took me like three months, day and night, to make that thing, and it was just so hard. And like I did the first version, and then. You know when you do something and then you come back in the cold light of day and it's like, oh my God, did I really show that to anybody? I'm so embarrassed with myself. How could I have done such a thing? And, and that just happened over and over again. I do one version, yeah, that's okay. That's absolutely awful. <laughs> so yeah, like a really painful... Did you ever get to process. a stage where you were really happy with it? I did in the end, yeah. I was, it's like the proudest, it's the thing I'm most proud of in anything I've ever made it's insanely insanely difficult to make um yeah it's like unbelievably difficult to make and it was um yeah, it was just a real personal um achievement for to have done it i agree they're amazing <laughs> i'm looking <laughs> forward to putting them in the show notes so everyone can see um what's but like in a more uh, mundane way like getting into doing some writing and stuff like i, I kind of realized I started to need, I needed to start talking about some of these ideas and like putting some blogs out. And to begin with, it was really like pulling teeth. Like it takes so long to get anything written. I think the first thing I wrote was like, I don't know, 1400 words or something. It was like a small essay from school. And I just labored over it for about a fortnight or something ridiculous. But you just have to keep on battling through that creative block and get it done. How do you think the industry will change in the next 10 years? The industry? As like in? The blockchain, blockchain business? Well, I think that essentially it's like um, a really brand newborn baby at the moment that doesn't really know how to do anything. And maybe it's just starting to pull some funny faces or you know, do something that makes you laugh at this point. Um, so... You know, the difference between that and and being a 10-year-old that, you know, can run around and have own concepts and ideas and give you a lot of lip is, uh, <laughs> is a huge, huge change. And I think that's exactly what we're going to see over the course of the next 10 years. I think we'll see far, far more adoption. And I think we'll see the network effect of platforms like Ethereum just just really um, running rampant and, and hopefully we're going to see some really interesting 
changes that, that are beneficial for, for the world. Great answer. Um, bunch of resource questions. What book or learning resource has had the biggest impact for you? Is there something you can Learning resources, that's an easy one, which is podcasts. That's music to your ears, right? It is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that discovering podcasts and I suppose to a lesser extent audiobooks was like such a just a, just an amazing thing that I now I basically can fill any time where my body is occupied by my brain isn't with with consuming audiobooks and podcasts and learning and about other things and just absorbing different perspectives I love it it's for that exact reason it's you know I, you couldn't have articulated that any better. It's when your body's busy, but your mind isn't. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there's one downside to that, which I've noticed, which is that you need sometimes just click, like open time to let your brain surface ideas. Yeah. Um, you're basically creating a bigger web of touch points for ideas to bounce around. But anyway. that, that is the trouble. We're increasingly bombarded with information and media, right, such that even the, the most minuscule amount of time, uh, unstimulated, uh, causes this sort of slight panic response and causes people to reach for Twitter or Reddit or whatever it may be. So you didn't actually mention any podcasts, like which, uh, um, you know, name drop a couple of your favourites. Uh, uh, I did, I mentioned one, which was the Rogan experience. Rogan, yeah. Yeah, I do like a bit of Rogan. Uh, not all of them, I'm not really interested in the like you get some really interesting people on there to have like really cool conversations. Um, so I, I sort of cherry pick those. Radio Lab is is absolutely unstoppable and you know relentlessly high quality, and they can have something which sounds superficially like incredibly boring and something I've never been interested in. Like there was one recently about figure skating. I mean, it's actually just completely enthralling. I went downstairs and was like, hey, there was this, uh, you know, because it's uh, the, the black girl that did the, yeah, the yeah. flip, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing. That was, that was awesome. Um, and they've got a spin-off one called uh, More Perfect, which is about Supreme Court cases, which is, which is also really great. I recently powered through uh, two seasons of Serial. Everybody's heard of Serial, it would seem, apart from me until about, I don't know, three weeks ago. Yeah. And that was that I was did fascinating. the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I quite like that. It's uh, so much better binge watching a podcast yeah. than, a, than yeah. a TV series. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Something about the um, the audio space. I would love to be able to do something in the vein of, you know, Radio Lab and that kind of stuff. It's quite as high, very high production value. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Have you heard of um, Malcolm Gladwell's new one, Revisionist I History? I, I had spotted that this morning as I was looking for something else to add to my feed. Is it good? Awesome. Okay. Yeah, he's in, he's uh, he's taking it up to that level, you know. The, oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'll get involved. Uh, I'm still a baby in this space. I'm just uh, <laughs> roughing it with the £30 microphone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Well, that's part of the beauty of it, right? Yeah. It's a platform for everybody. For sure. And... I love listening to interesting conversations with people and I'm yeah. like, I can have these. I know a lot of interesting people. But I don't think London's particularly well represented in the podcast space. I mean, you've got London Real. 
Yeah, London Real is very good. Yeah. And that's just down the road. It is, yeah. Just um, on, this, on this very street, in fact. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I want to actually meet up with him at some point. Yeah. But, um, yeah, other than London Real, there's, there's a, a dude that does 20-minute um, VC, I think it's called. Mm, okay. Very young chap that interviews all the venture capitalists. Yeah. That's another good one, but yeah. Um, I think any- given that media is really good as well, I haven't listened to too many of those. I listened to uh, one of the Science Versus ones, which was very well done, but yeah, I hear those are good. Lots of resources for people to so be many. checking out. Too many, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> Favourite website? I suppose Reddit's the one that just gets me every I've never time. been into the Reddit community, but I believe it's super interesting. Though. It's just anything that you could possibly imagine that you could be interested in. Whatever your whatever things you're interested in, there's a community about it. Is it less dark than 4chan? Um, no. <laughs> no. No. If you want it to be dark, it's dark. If you want it to be about maths, it's about maths. If you anything you can imagine, like there's a there's an Ethereum subreddit, and that's like where the Ethereum community pretty much hangs out online. But you know, it's not all about the Reddit front page, which is pretty much just you know funny stories and pictures of cats. It's, it's anything you can imagine. So you'd encourage people, if they've got a particular interest, to dig into it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. Um, Just pretty, pretty much do reddit.com forward slash r forward slash the thing that you have in mind and the chances are there'll be a, a subreddit about it. And that will probably take you on to other things which are also interesting to you. They don't take well to promotion, right? So if, no, I, went in there, if I went in there very interested in podcasts, wanting to contribute to the community. If I name drop my own, would I get destroyed? It entirely depends upon the rules of the of that particular subreddit. Right. Yeah, some some are very, you know, welcoming to self-promotion, others not so much. Okay. Um, favourite movie or documentary? Favourite movie? The one that immediately comes to mind is The Big Lebowski. I don't know why, I just love that one. One object that's had an impact on your life. Can you give me an example? For me, I, uh, for example, it might be my fixie bike. Okay. One gear bike allows me to not go on the underground, which I hate with a passion. I will prefer to cycle in the rain and go on the underground. Um, You know, it's had a, and, even podcasts, you know, like I'd consider that an object, even though it's not. Just something that I couldn't see my life without it in the same way. This is really, it's like quite an, an interesting question for me because I'm somebody who's like had, I can easily get obsessed with acquiring a particular kind of object. So I, I've had like a lot of collections of things in, in the past. It's all part of this, like getting fascinated with something and you know wanting to acquire all the knowledge about it. Um, so you know, for a long time, I was really interested in collecting um, uh, antique, uh, vintage industrial lighting of various different kinds, or um, uh, another thing which is not really an object as such, but but I was really interested in exotic pets for a long time. And I, I would just like try and find the weirdest, most obscure, most hard to acquire sort of examples of various different things. So what's the, what's the weirdest pet you had? Um, there's so many. I had giant cane toads, which are like the size of a chicken. I had 
um, giant centipedes. This was both when I was a teenager in my family home and also um, in, in my warehouse conversion in Shoreditch some years ago. You must have had a very understanding mom to bring home a giant centipede. Uh, yes, I guess so. <laughs> but but um, also understanding flatmates. Yeah. But yes, a giant centipedes. I had like all sorts of different scorpions and spiders. When I was a teenager, uh, you know, living with my parents, uh, one very memorable thing I had was this uh, spider called a giant orbweb spider, um, and it's roughly the size of the span of your hand. It's got long spindly legs and it makes a big web in the shape of an orb. And um, I had that in frame to begin with, but ultimately um, it decided the frame wasn't big enough for it and just decided it was going to wander off on its own. So that built its web in the corner of my bedroom, directly above my bed. So that, that was a barren period. And you just let that roll? I, I just let that roll, yeah. yeah. But that was a particularly barren period on the lady You're friends. a madman. <laughs> But the, the point I was getting around to and saying that there's all these collections of like acquiring shitloads of things which represent like a, a, a spectrum, a sample of things that interest me about that thing. I've kind of, I've, I've kind of like just, that, that thing has just gone. And for me now, it's like how little can I actually, how much can I get rid of? Because stuff feels like such a burden. Yeah. I think it's because I, I moved from like a big warehouse place to a smaller place and then I still haven't got rid of all that stuff and it's just like an albatross there's, that hangs around. There's the minimalist philosophy. I like it, yeah. I'm going to have to investigate this. Yeah. I'm going to see how little I can collect. Um, what event would you recommend people go to? Coin Scrum, yeah. yeah. If you're interested in blockchain stuff in London, certainly, certainly Coin Scrum, uh, are, you know, they do the best one around. Um, if you're interested in Ethereum, the, the thing to go to would be DevCon 2, which is in Shanghai this September. Um, that's, yeah, so if, you, if you're, you know, techie, it's a developer conference, so if you're techie and uh, this is technology which interests you and you want to go with the trial by fire approach, that would be the place to go. You'll meet everybody that there is to know in the space there. Those would be okay. good ones. Quick fire questions. Favourite brand and why? Okay, I've actually been thinking about this recently, um, and I think that my favourite brand is Stripe. And I think that because it's an incredibly, like, intensely boring product, yet what they've been able to do is to make it something which is uh, sort of almost aspirational, certainly very approachable, as conveys a feeling of quality, of simplicity. Like they, they've done so much to communicate their values through their brand. And, and that for me is what a good brand is all about. Am I missing a point with Stripe? Was Stripe not, just contactless not wipe Stripe out? What does Stripe do? Stripe is um, credit card processing over the internet. Amongst, you know, the, pretty much that, that's the, that's the base layer of their product. Right. Okay, quick fire, so we won't delve into that. Sure. <laughs> what do you do for fun outside of your day job? I have a family. <laughs> so I have a kid, a wife and child. So that's, that, that, you know, going to playgrounds is pretty much how I spend <laughs> my weekends. Do you look for good ones? I do. I'm, I've become a playground connoisseur. 
That's and in it, the completely savoury sense of being a playground connoisseur as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be known for that, no? No, it's, it's, it's not generally a not a good idea to be a playground connoisseur <laughs> unless you've got children. <laughs> Do you want to name drop any good ones or are they just yours? No, they're absolutely secret. Okay. Uh, of course, um, Highgate Woods, you know, if you've got kids, that's a, that's, they've got a great one there. Favourite quote? Oh, um, I do have a favourite quote, but it's it's one that I've only learnt recently because this is exactly the kind of thing I'm not I'm not great at remembering. So let me look that up. Well, that was my second to last question. So, okay. Um, the only other thing was I was going to ask what projects you've got on right now, where people could check it out. If so, where and where's the best places to reach you? Yeah, I'm all about colony and ownage at the moment. Um, and you can, you can visit colony at colony.io. We've got a, a new um, website which is being built at the moment, so, um, who, so, so that will be uh, going online hopefully within the next month or so. Um, and then ownage.io, which is not, there's not much to see there at the moment, but um, if that kind of general vibe interests you, then sign up and you'll be, you'll be the first to know when things change. And just generally, not the projects, but if people want to get in contact with you, Twitter? Yeah, Twitter, at, uh, at Jack DeRose or at Join Colony. Um, or you can probably find me on, on Reddit as well as Atta Atta. Atta Atta. A-double-T-A, A-double-T-A. Is there a reason behind that? Uh, it's uh, the genus of a type of leaf cutter around. Yeah. 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 And um, final question, uh, if you could give the world one piece of meaningful advice uh, to help people live a better and more meaningful life, what would it be? Okay, I've got something. Let's hear it. Whatever you do, don't go after money, don't go after status, don't go after what your, your mum and dad think you should do, don't go after what people tell you you can or can't do, go after what actually makes you happy because there is only one possible purpose that I've ever been able to divine out of living life and that is to do the things that satisfy you personally and just just make you feel good about about your existence uh, so go after that that's the way to live a happier better more meaningful life I send it there I have got your quote for you now let's do it this is a powerful way to end. Okay. This is the most powerful quote that I, I, I've encountered in a long time. It's quite long. Let's hear it. But here we go. It's by um, Theodore Roosevelt. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deed, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who is at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. There we go. There we are. That's a great way to end. Nice one, Jack. I really Pleasure. appreciate it. Thank you very much.
enjoyed that. Hopefully, the uh, I'm sure the internet community will. Yeah, hope so. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Obviously, we went very, very in depth, but um, <laughs> yeah, for anyone that's interested in this, hopefully, it's been a really interesting listen. So, uh, yeah, bye for now. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Hey everyone, just a little send off before you get on with the rest of your day. Uh, If you really enjoyed the show, please like and share it. It's uh, still a new project and that helps me to spread the word. Obviously, if you really enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you could subscribe via Stitcher, SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, For anyone who's feeling particularly generous, if you could leave a review on iTunes, it really helps with my ranking and helps me to get the show out to more people. And my final request, obviously this one is a big one, Uh, I recently set up a Patreon page uh, which allows me to uh, get small contributions from you, the audience, to help me sustain the show and also to help me improve the audio quality and attract more great guests. So if you're interested in uh, supporting the show at all, you can head over to that at patreon.com forward slash Ricky Richards where you can contribute to the show from as little as £1 a month which is 25p per episode. And for that, I will feature your name in the show notes of every episode, plus a link to a website of your choice. Obviously, I appreciate everyone who listens, but if you contribute, uh, that also helps me to make this more of a a full-time gig, which is a, a big aspiration of mine. So thank you to everyone who listens. I hope you have a great day wherever you are in the world, and bye for now. Thank you.